Tonight, we conclude our series on the book of James. The series titled, Vital Christianity. Since we started this series on October 26th, the Boston Red Sox have won the World Series. The Florida State Seminoles have won the Football National Championship. The Seattle Seahawks have won the Super Bowl. The Yukon Huskies won the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament. The Los Angeles Kings won the Kent Stanley Cup. The San Antonio Spurs have won the NBA Championship. And Germany won the FIFA World Cup. Every major sport in America has crowned the champions since we started this series. That is not an exaggeration. I don't want to hear anyone mention NASCAR as a major sport. We live in Colorado, not North Carolina. Otherwise, we'd include it, but we don't. It's law. Since we started this series, uh, we have a new mayor in the town of Erie. Tina Harris uh, has been elected mayor. Since we started this series, five babies have been born at Impact Rock Church. We've had five babies since we started this series. Since we start, you know how many houses have gone up in Erie since we have started this series? 2,789. I mean, not really. It's like 60 or so, maybe. But, I mean, it's a lot. It's still a lot. Since we've started this series, I mean, it's been 43 weeks. It has been almost 10 months. But I don't care about the Boston Red Sox. And I don't care about who won the World Cup or any of those other things. I care about you guys. So I ask, what has happened in your lives since we have started this series? Since we started with an introduction of the book of James and went into James 1.1. What has happened in your life? What has happened in the life of this church? What has God carried you through in the past 43 weeks? What ways are you standing stronger and healthier and more resolute in Jesus Christ? Because of what you have learned and applied to your lives and grabbed the hold of is truth through this series. What joys has He given you? What miracles has He done? This book is all about growth. So, how have you grown as a follower of Jesus Christ? And how has this church grown as a unified body of believers? Consider it all joy, brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces of endurance. Have we grown in that kind of joy? A joy that absolutely trusts the Lord in the midst of trials, knowing that He turns it to grow us as believers, developing endurance in our lives. Have we grown in endurance? Have we gone through trials? Have we come out of it stronger? Not, not trial for trial's sake, but stronger because our God uses it for His good and for our glory. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask, believing that God will give it without reproach. But he must ask in faith without doubting. Have you grown in wisdom? Have you grown in wisdom because you've grabbed a hold of this truth that we, when we lack wisdom in any given situation, we can go to our Father and we can say, I need your wisdom. And through the power of His Holy Spirit, we're given it. But we have to ask in faith 
without doubting. So are we wiser? Is our faith stronger? Do you believe with all your heart that every good and perfect gift comes from God, the Father of lights? And as a result of that, are we a more thankful people? Because our God is so good. And not most good things come from Him. Every good thing comes from Him. So as a people, are we more gracious? Are we more thankful? I'd say we are as a people. I'd say we are as a church. I'd say we have grown in faith. We have grown in wisdom. We have grown in strength. Talking about people in this room, we are not the same people. You are not the same people. You are stronger. You are more gracious. You are more loving. Have we, have we learned to, to bite our tongue when it comes to negativity and, and slander and judgment? And have we seen a decrease of fires in our lives that have, have been just quenched before they ever started because we, we held our tongue and instead we spoke life and encouragement and faith? The answer to that is yes. We are a more mature church today than we were 30, 43 weeks ago. You guys, when we go through a series, and we have never been through a series this 43 weeks long, ever. But when we go through something like that, it's because God wants to do something for us. We just came through a season together. Guys, 10 months is a season. It wasn't a series. (laughs) And as we come through the series, we find ourselves stronger and believe in Him for more. Confident. As a church, over the past 10 months, we have grown in wisdom and faith and passion and depth and grace in love, in relationship, and in prayer. How many of you guys have just loved the last few weeks where James just drives home the need for prayer? I'll tell you what. You know, and, and I'm not saying everyone's built this way, but I'm certainly built this way. Man, I've been looking for opportunities to pray in public. Just so people, because if I get to pray once, I might get to pray twice. Someone might see that I'm a Christian and they might need prayer too. So if I do it once, I might get to do it twice. I've been praying everywhere in public. And a little louder than normal. Not so that I can be heard, but so that Jesus can be recognized. I'm loud anyway. And here's the good news. As individuals... And as a body of believers, you're not done. We're not done. We're not done growing. We're not done with the depth that, that the Lord's just been dropping into our hearts and into our spirits. And God's not done either. And James is not done yet either. There are two verses that remain. Two verses that remain. In this book, chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Both Paul and Peter give salutations and conclusions to their letters. But what about James? Heck no! James brings his letter to a screeching halt, driving home what he feels is the culmination of points that he has just been making in this letter. No flowery anything. No flowery anything. This is how 
he concludes his letter to the church. Verse 19, My brethren, if any of among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. End of letter. What is James saying at the end of this letter? He's saying, church, we don't kill our wounded. We restore them. We don't abandon those that have walked away. We go after them and we restore them and we lift them up. End. I've mentioned for several weeks now that James is addressing the fact that there's a hurting church. Their relationship with God has been harmed and their relationship with each other has been harmed. And he's been talking about healing and unity in the church. How much more so is it demonstrated in this example of one who walks away? The relationship with God has been harmed. The relationship with the church has been harmed. As I talk about this and as we cover this, please hear me. I'm not talking about someone who changes churches. Just, you know, I feel called somewhere else. I mean, we've got, you know, I think of Jim and Pam. They live in Erie. They were going to church elsewhere. They were driving past signs, impact rock signs all the time. and felt like God was saying, that's where I want you to be. That's where I want you to be. I want you in Erie. They went to their pastor and said, we feel like we're supposed to be called here. They sent me the letter, the dialogue that was back and forth between their pastor. Where they're like, God bless you. We release you. Thank you for the ways you've served. And then God called them here. I'm not talking about that. That's not, no restoration is needed. That's God calling you someone, somewhere and you just moving. So I'm not talking about changing churches. I'm talking about someone who is walking away from God, who is in need of an embrace by the body of Christ so they can see that God is good and so are his people. God calls us to the task of restoring fallen believers. Giving them help up. Even if they don't necessarily want help up. There is such a thing as saving a sinner. And there is such a thing as saving a saint. And we're going to clarify both tonight. It's just a different type of saving and it's just a different type of death. But we're called to both as believers. But first let me read this passage again and I want to clarify verse 19 and 20. I want to read it again. And there's some him and he's and and things that I want to clarify. So we'll just read it again and I'll just kind of clarify that. So let's read it. James 19. My brethren, if any of among you strays from the truth and one turns him back. So one of you brothers turns him back. Let him, the brother who is loved enough to turn back the strain, brother, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death, will save the soul of the wayward brother from death, not his own soul from death, and will cover a multitude of sins. So guys, let's look deeply at this. We're going to look at verse 19, and then we're going to go on to verse 20, and we're just going to kind of examine it. So it starts off, my brethren, my brethren. This is the 15th time in this letter to the church where James uses this affectionate term, my brethren. 
Don't you love the ownership of it? My brother, my sister, my brethren. It's affectionate. And here in the last part of this letter, he uses it for the 15th time. He uses the word several other times, but not with the address of my brethren. And this time he uses it with a plea and a warning. Asking them to pay attention, to think of everything that he has talked about, about restoration and healing and faith and prayer. Now hear me, my brothers. The one who strays from the truth here is what? Is what? A brother. This is not talking about a sinner. This is a brother. This is a believer. This is a Christian who strays from the truth. If any among you is the next, if any among you, you guys, if any of us, any among us, take our eyes off of Jesus Christ, it is easier than you think to stray from the truth. If any among us take our eyes off of Jesus Christ, and His goodness, and the love of the Father, the goodness of God, the power to turn all situations of the Holy Spirit. If we take our eyes off the Lord, friends, it is easy to stray. It is easy to ignore the Word of God and the truth that's contained in it. It's easy to turn to rebellion and to get our our hearts hardened. It's easier than we think. Every week we make it about our awesome God in this place. And we encourage us to set our eyes on Jesus Christ and to give the Holy Spirit reign in our hearts and to remember the goodness of our Father. Why? Because we walk through various trials and suffering. And if we don't keep our eyes on Jesus, we could be this one that's listed as if any among you. James has already made the the point in a few verses back that Christians can develop physical problems due to sin. And now he's saying that there are dangerous spiritual problems that can come as a result of taking our eyes off the Lord as well. Disillusionment. Depression. Resentment. Right? These things, if not treated, lead to death. If these, these things, if not treated, they steal our joy. They steal our hope. They steal our vision. This person who has strayed from the truth has strayed from the truth about God's love. This person is a believer clearly in need of brotherly love. If any of among you strays from the truth. Guys, turning requires touch. The context that James is still in here, he is still in the context of prayer. So we are part of what we do in turning this brother who has strayed from the truth is to pray for them, is to, is to love them enough to hit our knees and to pray for them. So turning someone requires touch. It requires our knees touching the ground. It requires us praying for somebody. 
but it also requires touch. Going up, brother, let me talk to you. Let's have coffee. But turning requires touch. It requires an intentional effort of going beyond ourselves, of facing possible rejection and definite uh, irritation. They're most likely not going to be real happy about that at that moment. The word stray means to, to go away, to wander, to stray off. James 2.17 says this, Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Allow me a little bit of latitude here. Just allow me some. And let's leave that passage up there. Even faith isn't supposed to be alone. Faith is supposed to be partnered with works. Even faith is not supposed to be alone. Even faith is not supposed to be by itself. Friends, when someone strays, what's the result of that? Them being by themselves. Them being alone. If someone's battling disillusionment and resentment and depression and they stray off and go alone, you think the disillusionment and depression is going to be better when they're alone by themselves or worse? Yeah, it's not a trick question. It's going to definitely be worse. So what does that being alone mean? Outside of the fellowship of God. Outside of the fellowship of His church. It's important. I'm sorry. I know too many people that say, oh, it's not important that I go to church. That's bull. That is bull. That is bull. It does matter. We're supposed to be reflective of the body of Christ and work in unity. And me sitting at home and not, not being a part of his church is, is counter to that. They stray from the truth and one turns him back. James warns and pleads throughout this entire letter that a faith that is dead is worthless. That a faith without action is worthless. Faith without works is dead. He pleads with people not to have a dead faith, but an active faith. A faith that is alive. A faith that is demonstrated by action. Guys, his church suffers when we don't show action. Guys, people suffer when we don't show action as a representative of of our king. People suffer when we are not people of action. Guys, let's just go ahead and, and set in our hearts that one of the things the Holy Spirit is doing within us right now is repentance. Repenting, uh, getting us to repent and change our mind of our way of thinking when someone leaves the church. Well, if the, God bless them if... You know, you know, if they're just gone, you know, I mean, you know, God bless them. They let them be gone. Maybe, maybe if they if they were traveling, you know, for forty minutes and found a church closer to home, maybe. But what if they left because of a hurt or an offense? What if they left because of a wound? What if they left for any number of reasons? And all they need is someone to go. I miss you. I don't know why I haven't seen you. Can you tell me why I haven't seen you? 
I don't care if they get offended to that. Let the love be, be so drippy and oozy with the love that they can't get offended with it. Hey, I, I miss you. Where have you been? Oh, I've been busy. Oh, man, that's... Well, you're busy this week? Because if you're not busy this week, then this is definitely the week we want to see you again. Well, I am busy. What about next week? Well, I, I got my calendar. I'm just going to go through... Next week's the 7th. What about the 14th? 21st? 28th? Next month? The 4th? The whatever. There's some people that I've got to call this week. I didn't... I, I, I wanted... I thought about it in preparation. I'm like, no. I'm going to wait. Because... But I've had to do some repentance. Okay, there's some people I should have pursued a little bit harder. And, and if, if they're gone, God bless them, they're gone. But if they're hurting and just need someone to show that they love, I want to be that person, and I'm sure you do too. Let's not leave that. Please, please, don't leave that to me. Because this isn't a one-man show. We are the body of Christ. We are the church. This isn't a one-man show. Don't leave that to me. Because you know what? I rub some people the wrong way. And that's cool. And I am fine with that. Because I'm the pastor. And that's what God wants me to do. I'm, I'm here to bring about change. I'm here to move you from one place to the next. To a higher place. And part of that makes you uncomfortable. And I am so comfortable with that. So comfortable with that. That's what God's called me to do. So I irritate some people. Now they love me, but... They don't want the call from me. What they want the call from is sweet you. Who doesn't irritate them. Who they love. And want to have a cup of tea with. Please don't leave this just on me. Now I'll call them too. But don't just put this on me. Or any of the other pastors here. And one turns him back. And one turns him back. What are we turning them to? What are we turning them to? I, I must have done some trick questions that have made you guys gun shy. Because this is not a trick question. This is so easy. What do we turn them to? God, Jesus, the Lord. We turn them to a place they've already been before. We turn them back to the loving eyes of Jesus Christ. That when they when they turn and they look and see again, they're like, oh, he does love me. Oh, he is good and only good. So we turn them back to Jesus. But friends, what do we turn them from? According to this passage, we turn them from death. We turn them from death. A believer in fellowship who turns another believer back to fellowship will save him from the death and the destruction of joy. We'll save him from the destruction of fellowship. We'll save him from the destruction of hope and, and vision and all of these things. True love will take the risk of confronting a fellow Christian who has gotten off track. I'm really fighting right now not to do love, true love, from the Princess Bride. <laughs> but I, but I, I see what I did. I accomplished doing it without actually doing it. So true conversion for the Christian depends on us receiving truth, right? Oh my gosh, I'm forgiven. Truth. Oh my gosh, he loves me. Truth. 
oh my gosh, my sin doesn't matter. Truth. Oh my gosh, he's got a, a future for me. Truth. True conversion depends upon truth. To grab a hold of us and go, Jesus, I receive you. You guys, the more we wander away, the more that someone wanders and drifts away, that truth gets faint and even gets silent. The truth of how good God is, the truth that they're loved, the truth that God's got a plan, that He's not done, that He truly does turn all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. That's why it's important that we do that, that we reach out, because drifting just keeps on happening. I love, don't you love that James concludes his letter with this? Galatians 6 1 says this, brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, you who are mature, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. We rescue those by redirecting them back to a loving God. Verse 20. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way. I love the passage we just read in Galatians. It says, hey, keep keep your eye. Keep your eyes open. Don't think you're out of dangerous reach. And definitely don't be judgmental. Restore that person back with gentleness. But just be aware. It's if you keep your eyes, if you take your eyes off Jesus, it's easier than you think. I know that I'm not. I'm not going to take a stance either way. You know, I know that there's, you know, in Christianity, you know, we have people that they definitely won't ever refer to themselves as sinners because they're like, no, I, I'm redeemed. I'm bought with the blood of the Lamb. I, you know, I'm no longer a sinner. And and so I, I'm yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, I agree with that. But then I know a lot of people that go, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And if and I'm reminded that it was his love, his grace that saved me. And and so they refer to themselves as sinners saved by grace and they're okay with that because it's, it's a state of humility for them. And I'm cool with that. I'm great either way. But just so you know, what James refers to as this brother, he refers to this brother as a sinner. You think of the archer's term. The word sin is an archer's term, and it means to miss the mark. Anything short of complete bullseye is missing the mark. It's an archer's term. That's what sin is. That's not speaking of a need for us to be perfect. Oh my gosh, I didn't hit the bullseye. I'm not perfect. No, because it's not our perfection we're talking about. It's God's. We're to walk wanting His perfection to look like Him, to sound like Him. Oh, Dang it, I didn't sound like him in that sin. I missed the mark. That's okay. I want God to correct me. I want to get it right. Lord, I want to sound like you. I want to act like you. I want to walk like you. I want to talk like you. I want people to see me and, and to say, oh, that, that boy looks like his daddy. That girl talks just like her daddy. Sinners, we miss the mark. 
It is the responsibility of the mature Christian, those who are spiritual, to turn wandering believers back to God. There's not a mention of elders here. There's not a mention of deacons here. There's not a mention of home group leaders here. The mature believer, this is their responsibility to turn the wandering brother back to God. That's something we all have to take ownership of. Young people, you guys bring people to youth group and they give their lives to the Lord and then all of a sudden things happen at school and maybe you're not you know, maybe you're not as close as you were with them before. Or maybe it's not the same relationship. Or maybe they started hanging out with another group or whatever. But you know what? There's still the effort that's needed to go, hey, I just want to remind you that God loves you as much today as he did yesterday. What are you doing Tuesday? We have youth group this Tuesday. We'd love to have you back. That'll be the theme of youth group, how good God is and how much he loves you. So young people, don't just wait for the adults to do it either. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death. You guys, James is not talking about eternal spiritual death, and he's not talking about eternal spiritual salvation. James is well aware that it's not a believer who can save, but it's Jesus who can save. Trust me, James is not confused about this. That word soul that James is using, it's psyche. And it's, it's the same word that Jesus used in Matthew chapter 20. It means life, soul, the center of who we are. In Matthew 20, Jesus says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life, his psyche, his soul, a ransom for many. It's the same word that's being used here. James isn't re- referring to an eternal spiritual death, but physical death. Emotional death. Psychological death. Friends, there's a whole lot of deaths that we can suffer when we take our eyes off Christ. And James is saying, brother, you can save them. You can save their life by you just pursuing them and not giving up on them. The person who wanders is susceptible to these types of deaths. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 and 17, it says, Then the Lord took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Right? Did Adam and Eve eat of this fruit? Yes. Did they... Did they physically die that day? Did they experience death that day? They experienced the death of being separated from God, from His love, from His grace. They felt naked and ashamed and hid. They felt shame for the first time. They suffered death. They walked in death. And then, of course, sin entered this world, and death has been the fruit ever since. So I don't want you to think that James is being very exaggerative when he's talking about death, it's true. There are all types of death that people can walk in. Emotional death. Mental, psychological death. 
Was Jesus Christ the healer of our body? Was he the healer of... So he's a doctor. So he's the healer of our body. Is he the healer of our teeth also? Is, is he a dentist? Yeah? Is he the healer of our mind? Can he, can he heal our minds also? Is that beyond him or is that part of the completed work of... Yes. Can he heal our emotions? Yes. Every area that we have need of healing in, Jesus is our healer. The same concept of Adam and Eve, that this day you'll surely die. It's the same concept that James is talking about here. Friends, we save them from death. And we'll cover a multitude of sins. If a believer stays out of fellowship, their sins begin to pile up, if you will. What do I mean by that? The longer someone stays out of fellowship, the harder it is for them to come back because the more they feel unworthy, the more they feel like their sins have piled up and they're no longer worthy to be in fellowship. I've blown it. But it says that they'll be saved from a multitude of sins, that it will cover a multitude of sins. The weight of sin the weight of shame it's crushing and that's exactly what the enemy wants to bring about in our lives is crushing and brokenness which is totally contrary to the work of Jesus Christ which came to set us free and to heal us the word cover means to blot out to cancel, to forgive the phrase cover of multitude of sins brings us back to the truth of God's love. In Proverbs 10, 12, it says this, hatred stirs up strife, but love, love covers all transgressions. James is asking the church, do you love your brother enough to reach out and to cover them where they're weak, to cover them where they're hurting, to embrace them and bring them back in? As Christians, we need to show struggling believers a type of love that cancels out the crushing shame of sin. But this choice of words, this choice of words will cover a multitude of sins. I kept asking the Lord, it just kept sticking with me in my time with the Lord. I'm like, we'll cover a multitude of sins. And I was speaking to the Lord this morning and he showed me something. He's like, Mark, when someone walks away and they're hurt, do they normally keep that hurt to themselves? We, we hear the saying all the time, hurt people, hurt people. Hurt people, they don't mean to, but they hurt other people. They carry that hurt with them and they just hurt people, hurt people. And it's been a time with the Lord today, he's like, when we don't reach out and grab them, Mark, when you don't go get them, they're going to take those hurts elsewhere and others are going to be hurt. What about their family? Sometimes families are just collateral, or, um, collateral damage. You get, a, you get a husband who's wounded and hurt and going, we are never going back to that church again. And what he's saying is, I will never go back to church again. 
God has abandoned me. God has walked away from me. And so now, the wife and the children, what about, what about them? What about the people that he shares? Oh, God abandoned me. God didn't come through for me. Because the longer he stays away, the, the further he gets from the truth. I feel like this passage is saying that it covers a multitude of sins. It's when you reach out and pull them back in, you're covering the sins of all these people who would be impacted and hurt as a result of you not going after that person. As a result of you not pursuing them. It covers their sins as well. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul, his life from death, and will cover a multitude of sins. God calls us to the task of restoring fallen believers. To help them up and say, it's a long race. It's a long race, friend. It's not a sprint. Let's get back in the race together. I'll run it with you. to restore the wounded, not to see them die on the battlefield. We are called to save the sinner and just as much we are called to save the saint. This isn't to draw attention to me. This is draw attention to God's word. Rich and Cheryl are in this church because I reached out to them because they had been wounded at their last church. And I said, are you going to church anywhere? If not, I'd love to invite you to our church. So, uh, their sons as well, I guess can say, they're all here as a result of a, making a phone call to Rich, going, just want to invite you to church, man. Right? Who needs to be drawn back into this fellowship? Who needs to be shown grace and love and that they don't have to make things right. They just they just got to receive his love. Who's in your life that's outside of the church that needs that? Who's in your workplace that needs that? And who in this church can we reach out to that needs that? Hebrews 7.25, what an amazing verse. What an amazing passage. Therefore he, Jesus, is able also to save forever. You guys say that. Save forever. Save forever. He never stops saving those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. What an amazing verse. Jesus lives to make intercession for me, to stand in the gap for you, to stand in the gap for them. And friends, if we're called to look like Jesus and sound like Jesus and act like Jesus, and as Christians we bear the name as little Christs, little Jesuses, shouldn't we also be making intercession for others? Standing in the gap for them in prayer. Shouldn't we be touching our knees to the ground and praying for them, but also going out and giving them the touch of, of contact, of voice, of, of a hug, of buying them a cup of coffee? God gives this responsibility to those who are spiritual, to mature Christians. You guys, I started off this message 
saying what I believe to be true, that we are different. We are changed. We have grown. We are more mature than we were 43 weeks ago. It culminates in this passage, this plea, this warning that James issues and then abruptly ends it going, if you don't get this, you didn't get anything. If you don't get this, you didn't get anything I mentioned. Restore and turn that wounded person, that wandering believer, back into fellowship. The immature believer, the immature believer, criticizes and abandons. The mature believer restores. I want to close this sermon and this series with two verses. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. We are called to love. We are called to love one another and we are called to demonstrate that love through works. Then I want to read James 5, 19 and 20. And, and the Message Bible just states that same verse we've been reading just in a a really nice way. My dear friends, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. Go after them. Get them back, and you will have rescued precious lives from destruction and prevented an epidemic of wandering away from God. Church, let's grab a hold of this truth just as we have grabbed a hold of the wonderful truths that have been written in this book that's referred to as the Proverbs of the New Testament. Challenging words, but we still grabbed a hold of them because we saw truth in it. Encouraging words, we've grabbed a hold of it because we needed life, we needed to be built up. Words that affected us and words that affected others, we've grabbed a hold of them and recognized the truth in this. Friends, as we conclude this series and this book, this wonderful book, Let's grab a hold of this truth that we are called to lovingly restore, to gently restore back to others. It starts on our knees, but it doesn't end there. It requires effort. And you'd be surprised and amazed at a phone call or a postcard or an invitation for a cup of whatever, of what it'll do. Let's pray.